0: It's Philosophy Talk.
1: It's quite a lovely Jackson Pollock, isn't it? Yes, it is. What does it say to you?
0: If I could see inside your brain when you're looking at a piece of art, would I know what it was like to look at that art? It restates the negativeness of the universe, the hideous, lonely emptiness of existence, nothingness, the predicament of man forced to live in a barren, godless cosmos.
2: What are you doing Saturday night?
1: Committing suicide.
2: What about Friday night?
3: How can neuroscience help us answer the age-old question, what is beauty?
2: His struggle is man's struggle.
3: He is a loathsome, offensive brute, yet I can't look away. Our guest is Gabrielle Starr, author of Feeling Beauty, the neuroscience of aesthetic experience. This is your brain on art. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except
0: your intelligence. I'm John Perry.
3: And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco.
0: We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years.
3: 40 memorable years, John. Now today, we're thinking about your brain on art. It's about the subject of neuroaesthetics and what it has to teach us about
0: the experience of art. Neuroaesthetics, Ken? I guess that means you hook up people to, like, fMRI machines and kind of... Look at their brain while they look at some art?
3: That's exactly right, John. It's a hot new discipline that combines traditional aesthetics and philosophy, art criticism, (laughs) with the very latest in brain science. It's cool stuff.
0: Oh, yes. Sounds really cool. How is looking at someone's brain waves or neurons firing or whatever going to answer questions about the nature of beauty or of aesthetic taste or artistic Uh, talent. I
3: I sense a little skepticism in your voice there, John, but look, maybe neuroaesthetics can't explain what makes a particular work of art beautiful. It might not answer questions like that, but it surely can tell us something about the human experience of art, because you know we experience it in our brains, and maybe it can tell us why some of us are able to actually create
0: beautiful art. What does artistic talent consist Well, look, kid, I've got nothing against neuroscience per se. Some of my best friends are neuroscientists. (laughs) But I I do get a little impatient with neuroscience's constant attempts to encroach on philosophy's turf. Neuroethics, now neural aesthetics. I suppose neurometaphysics is next.
3: John, I think you're feeling a little obsolete or outmoded or something, dude.
0: Well, I'm I'm relevant to the topic. I've got a brain. I've got as many neurons as, well, I've got quite a few neurons left. Let's leave it at that. But name me one concrete thing or even one abstract thing that neuroscience has given to us, has revealed to us, about the nature of beauty or art or artistic talent. Well,
3: take artistic talent. That's one that neuroscience has a lot to teach us. I mean, here's a fact that philosophers could never have anticipated from our armchairs. Did you know that brain damage and brain diseases of certain kinds can actually alter an artist's abilities? And not for the worst, as you might think, but for the better. It actually can make them better artists. Come again? Well, yeah. Think think. Uh, Willem de Koenig, that famous uh, abstract expressionist painter. He developed Alzheimer's in the later years of his life. And during that time, because of his Alzheimer's, he produced some of his best work. There's also uh, Franco Magnani, a painter based here in San Francisco. After he developed a seizure disorder, which made him a, a, an obsessive-compulsive, he, he obsessively painted these incredibly detailed scenes of, of the Italian town he grew up in and I could multiply the examples.
0: Well, those are fascinating stories. Uh, Monk was obsessive-compulsive in San Francisco and a great detective. So, you know, who knows? What does that show us about aesthetics or artistic talent?
3: Well, well, (laughs) the point is, John, that as uh, scientists start to study this kind of stuff more and more systematically and dig deeper and deeper into the brain, they're going to eventually know which parts of the brain are involved in artistic creativity, how those parts of the brain... contribute to a, a, artistic activity and maybe how changes in the brain can inc- enhance or diminish your artistic talent or appreciation. That That's important stuff.
0: Well, yeah, but you're kind of missing the point. Of course we're going to find out more about the brain. I mean, if you study what happens in the brain when people eat corn, you'll find out what happens in the brain when people eat corn. You won't find out anything about corn. What counts as art in the first place is even worse. It's essentially subjective. It's culturally contingent. Take so-called alleged conceptual art, like Marcel Duchamp's Fountain. Fountain is basically a regular porcelain urinal set in a museum. That makes it art. That's art. People certainly call it art. They feel strongly about it. I must say, I just don't get it. I'm not gonna. I'm not suggesting that studying
3: people's brains going to settle that question of whether that's art or not, but you've got to admit it would be interesting to actually see what's going on inside the brain of someone who thinks Fountain is a great work of art and then compare that to what's going on inside the brain of somebody like you who, well, is kind of nonplussed by it. I mean, that would be interesting, even if it doesn't settle the question oh, yeah, of what is yeah. art. It
0: could turn out fascinating, like people that like Duchamp's art need to go to the bathroom and people who don't need to go to the bathroom usually find it kind of boring maybe something even more interesting than i guess okay you find out about the brain Maybe we could even figure I mean, I don't think you're ever going to explain to me What's so great about some of this stuff But maybe if you could just directly poke my brain You could, you could get me to appreciate it
3: Well, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself And a little ahead of science there But I think it would definitely be cool To see which systems of the brain Are involved in perceiving, processing, evaluating works of art What's going on in those systems of the brain When we perceive and evaluate art I mean, look, maybe the limbic system Which controls basic emotions has, has, is a part of it in some interesting way. I think there's lots of possible hypotheses here to investigate.
0: Well, I'll probably agree with you that neuroaesthetics is really wonderful before I agree with you that Duchamp's fountain is really wonderful.
3: Well, you know, i got to admit, it is hard to achieve a consensus on art, especially when you're talking about modern art.
0: We sent our roving philosophical reporter out to ask both adults and children alike what they think a particular painting by the artist Jackson Pollock. And she compares that with what an expert says. She files this report.
2: One of the most famous works by abstract painter Jackson Pollock is called Full Fathom Five. It's a drip painting made by dripping and throwing paint at a canvas. It's considered a masterpiece. It's kind of (laughs) weird.
3: I mean, it doesn't really look like anything cool.
2: 14-year-old Kayla is not impressed. It just looks like a pile of dirt or like the ground. I showed adults and kids alike this abstract painting and they had pretty different reactions. I think it's cool because it has all those like different
3: colors and the lines and um, if you look closely, you can see like different things in it.
1: I see a person standing profile. Of course, they have a pointy head. and almost looks like they're drinking a water bottle.
3: Um, I see like a butterfly, I see something that
0: looks like a ball.
3: Oh, it looks like a lot of paint uh, thrown at the canvas.
0: It looks like the dump. It's like boats in a dump.
1: Oh, I think I see a horse actually. For Pollock, this work was coming out of a period of exploring imagery that was uh, very specifically imagery imagery related to the unconscious.
2: Lawrence Rinder is director of the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley, California. He says Full Fathom Five can be interpreted as an abstract representation of the mind.
1: As an abstract image of the fathomless condition of the unconscious, of, of the mind, or as a representation of a kind of a realistic depiction of a visceral sensation of groundlessness and infinity. And one can think either of being in outer space, I mean, right now you can imagine like floating in space like an astronaut, or being underwater.
2: Paula created the painting in 1947 when he was seeing a Jungian psychologist to battle alcoholism. The title of the work comes from Shakespeare's The Tempest.
1: It's about someone who is, you know, their body is full fathom five uh, underwater. It's a distance uh, under the sea, They're, they're dead.
2: Today, Pollock's Full Fathom 5 is housed at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Most people, including the folks I asked to reflect on the painting, agree it's a piece of art. If for no other reason, then it's in the MoMA. But nobody quite agreed on what art exactly is.
3: I think art is that like someone painted it and that um they like... Sort of put stuff in it. They put drawings. They um, had used diff- used um, at least like two different colors. It's art because the person drew it and or painted it and put their best into it.
0: Doing art is like just like coloring and painting. That's just art, even if you're not
1: drawing anything.
3: I mean, art is a very open definition. I think people are always trying to figure out what is or isn't art all the time.
2: Lawrence Rinder, the director of the Berkeley Art Museum, says what we consider art, or not art, is not objective. It's all socially constructed, based on what we've seen on the walls of our parents' and friends' homes.
1: It's all learned, it's cultural. It's just a cultural response.
2: Jackson Pollock saw art as paint splattered on a canvas. The highly respected folks at the New York MoMA agree. Where we lack consensus is what Pollock's full fathom five actually represents. And there's even less consensus on what is or isn't art. What do you think? No, really, tell us. We posted a photo of Pollock's famous abstract painting on our Facebook and Twitter pages, and we want to hear what you think about it and how you would define art in general. While you're finding us online... I'll sign off. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari.
3: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.